Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Death is hard. It can be ugly and nasty. And it robs us of that which we prize most, the people we love. Sometimes death can be a sweet relief as in the case of someone who has suffered a long and painful illness before finally succumbing to death's quiet embrace. Sometimes death is abrupt and unexpected, the proverbial slap in the face that leaves us stunned and bewildered as to what the heck just happened, and what do we do next? Death is the great equalizer. It's coming for all of us, like it or not. Whether we're young or old, rich or poor, it doesn't matter. Someday, somehow, you and I are going to die. Throughout history, different cultures develop different means of dealing with their dead. In most cases, death is followed by that most sacred of rituals, the burial. The ancient Egyptians erected massive stone edifices to honor their dead. That practice would be carried on, in a much smaller scale, in some of the stone mausoleums and crypts that can be found throughout Western cultures. A common practice among the Norse people several centuries ago was to send their dead out in a literal blaze of glory, the funeral pyre. The idea was to create such a massive blaze of fire and smoke with the deceased at its center that the person's spirit would be carried up into the afterlife in a pillar of smoke. But even the Vikings didn't do this for every person who passed. There are still plenty of instances in which they did that most common of practices, putting them in the ground. The act of burying the dead in the ground is both a common one and a practical one. Although the details vary from culture to culture, except in those locales where digging becomes impractical, most everywhere you go you can find examples of local rituals to inter someone below the ground. The problem that's been faced for as long as people have been buried is determining when is the right time to do it. Sometimes death isn't quite as clear-cut as one would like to believe. And sometimes the people we put below the ground aren't really dead at all. I'm Nate Hale, and I really wish someone would let me out of this box. And this is The Conspirators. Angelo Hayes liked to drive fast. Back in 1936, at the age of 18, Angelo loved to tear up the roads of the tiny French village of San Quentin de Chalet where he lived, roaring along on his beloved motorcycle. This, of course, was a source of constant worry for his mother, who often lectured him on his speed and refusal to wear a helmet. Then came that one fateful day when all Angelo's mother's worries came true. On a sunny Monday morning, Angelo sped away from his home on his daily joyride. Not long after, though, something terrible happened. Somehow, Angelo lost control of his bike, and he was thrown face-first into a brick wall. He was pronounced dead on the scene. 
The damage to his face was so bad, Angelo's parents weren't allowed to examine his body. Three days later, they laid him to rest in the village cemetery. Only one day after the funeral, Angelo's parents filed an insurance claim. This set off alarm bells for the insurance investigators. Even more suspicious, turns out the parents had taken out the $200,000 insurance policy only a few days before Angelo's death. The investigators reached out to the local medical examiner to see if anything unusual turned up in the autopsy. But as it turns out, Angelo's parents had refused to allow an autopsy and instead rushed burying their son in a closed casket ceremony. By Friday, the insurance investigators arranged for Angelo's body to be exhumed and re-examined. When the coffin was brought back to the medical examiner's office and the body removed, they discovered something that shocked them all. Angelo was alive. His breathing was shallow and his pulse was weak, but he was most definitely alive. You see, the crash had put Angelo into a deep coma that slowed his body's need for oxygen, allowing him to survive in the coffin for three days. All the suspicious business with the insurance policy had just been a simple coincidence. But without those suspicious circumstances, Angelo certainly would have perished. Instead, he eventually managed a full recovery and lived a long and prosperous life. He became a local celebrity, and people came from miles around to ask him about his accident and the bizarre series of events that followed. Several years later, Angelo Hayes went on to invent a security coffin for people to survive a premature burial. It came equipped with a food locker, oxygen supply, chemical toilet, radio, and even a library to stave off boredom while awaiting rescue. As remarkable as Angelo's story is, he's far from alone. History is full of tales of premature burials, and as you'll hear, not all of them have such happy endings. Imagine what it must be like. You awaken in total darkness inside a tiny box. The smell of pine and fresh earth all around you. Your heart races. You gasp for breath. You scream for help, but no one hears you. You shove and claw and pound your fists against the inside of the box lid, but it won't budge. You've been buried alive, and you realize you're going to die here in this dark coffin, and no one is coming to help you. Probably the first notable reported case of premature burial was that of philosopher John Dunn Scotus in 1308, whose body was found outside his coffin upon reopening his tomb. In the centuries that followed with major epidemics like the Black Death, Cholera, Typhoid, and other deadly plagues claiming lives on a massive scale, there was often a rush to bury the dead. And as a result, sometimes mistakes were made. It's no wonder that people were scared. Premature burial could happen to anyone regardless of their wealth or social standing. It's a terrible fate that renders the victim completely powerless, leaving them to die a slow and horrific death as they suffocate or starve alone. Long ago, premature burial was used as a means of capital punishment in various places around the world. In ancient Rome, Vestal virgins who broke their vows were sealed up in small caves. The same went for the men who helped the virgins break those vows. In Germany, during the Middle Ages, live burial was the prescribed punishment for women who committed infanticide. In medieval Italy, convicted murderers were sometimes buried alive head first, with their feet sticking out of the ground. 
Under Danish law during the 13th century, female thieves were routinely buried alive, while male thieves got the preferential treatment of a quick beheading. In feudal Russia, women who killed their husbands were buried alive in a massive sacred killing site known as the Pit. In 563, a well-known Irish monk named Odran agreed voluntarily to be buried alive beneath a chapel St. Columba was attempting to build on this Scottish island of Iona. So the story goes, a voice told Columba that the walls of the chapel would not stand unless a living man was buried beneath its foundation. So Odran volunteered, and the chapel was erected above him. One day, however, Odran just decided to rise up out of the earth and announced to everyone that everything they knew about heaven and hell was completely wrong. Naturally, Columba and the parishioners didn't like this news one bit, so they dug another hole and stuck Odran back in it. Taphophobia is the official scientific term for the intense fear of being buried alive. And compared to a lot of other phobias, it's not even such an irrational fear, because it's happened so many times before. Back in the 18th and 19th centuries, before doctors had tools like EEG machines, x-rays, and even the stethoscope, determining whether someone was really, truly dead was a bit of a crapshoot. Since doctors didn't have a full understanding of things like comas, seizures, and other medical traumas that could reduce life functions, it's easy to see how someone could be declared dead who really wasn't. Also, because the medical profession was still in its relative infancy back then, and in many rural areas it could be difficult to obtain access to a trained medical technician, the job often fell to lay people with little or no medical knowledge at all to determine whether someone was really dead. In 1725, a 17-year-old girl named Augusta Anne Constantia married Heinrich Friedrich, Count of Friesen. Augusta was the illegitimate daughter of Augustus II, the King of Poland, and his mistress, Anna Constantia of Brockdorf. Augusta and Count Friedrich had two sons before she fell ill suddenly with smallpox and died, or so they thought. Augusta's body was placed inside the tomb before the altar, and soon scratching noises were heard coming from inside. This managed to spook everyone, and no one wanted to be the first to take a peek inside, which is too bad because it might have saved Augusta. Eventually they did work up the nerve to open the coffin, but by then it was too late. Inside Augusta's coffin, they found her dead and staring up at them wide-eyed. The lid of the coffin was full of bloody scratches, and several of Augusta's fingernails were missing as she tore them loose trying to claw her way out. Historical records from the 19th century estimate that as many as 2% of all people who were buried weren't really dead. Newspapers would sometimes refer to these poor unfortunate victims as supposed corpses, and they used terms like suspended animation and trance to explain how such a medical mistake could be made. Contemporary writers like Edgar Allan Poe exploited this very real fear in people by writing often about premature burial. In 1896, a group of Victorians formed the Society for the Prevention of Being Buried Alive. A cottage industry grew up around the funeral business in creating all sorts of elaborate safety coffins similar to the one built by Angelo Hayes that contained escape hatches, air hoses, megaphones, and warning bells. Graveyards would sometimes hire people to sit there overnight, listening for signs of life. Contrary to popular belief, though, this isn't the origin of the terms dead ringer or saved by the bell. You have the worlds of horse racing and professional boxing to thank for those. The fear of premature burial became so prevalent throughout the 18th and 19th centuries that people began writing instructions into their wills that before being buried, 
someone needed to take additional steps to prove they were really dead. This would often be done by performing tests on the deceased, such as slicing open the bottoms of their feet, sliding needles under their toenails, or whipping them with sharp nettles. None other than George Washington actually wrote into his will that he was not to be buried for two days following his death, just in case he decided to wake back up. One story out of 19th century Mexico illustrates just how horrifying the problem of premature burial could be. In 1833, the city of Guanajuato, Mexico was ravaged by a cholera epidemic that swept through the town. In order to prevent the epidemic from spreading even further, the town took swift action to prevent the disease from claiming any more lives by interring the corpses in an above-ground mausoleum. About 30 years after the outbreak, the city cemetery was filling up so fast that they were running out of room for any fresh bodies. The city came up with the novel idea of enacting a tax that demanded the families of the deceased needed to pay either a one-time fee of 170 pesos or 50 pesos a year for three years in order to keep their loved ones buried. The problem was, most of the people either couldn't afford it or just didn't care. As a result, nearly 90% of the graves ended up being disinterred. Most of the corpses wound up being stored in a local warehouse. And of those corpses, the locals discovered that a small portion of them had been naturally mummified by the heat and the minerals in the soil. These corpses were so perfectly preserved that they turned the warehouse into a macabre museum for the dead that's still there today. The Guanajuato Mummies Museum is one of the town's biggest tourist attractions. The 119 mummified remains on display there range in age from the elderly to the youngest, a four-month-old fetus. One corpse in particular, though, stands out as the most horrifying display of all. Ignacia Aguilar was a young girl who suffered from a rare epileptic condition that could stop her heart at any moment. Typically, these fits were relatively brief, and the tiny girl would get back up again, startled and frightened, but seemingly okay. That is, until one day when she didn't get back up again at all. Ignacia's parents waited a full day, believing that their daughter's heart would begin to beat again and she would be back with them. But after a full day, the town doctor determined that this time Ignacia's death was permanent, so they buried her in the town mausoleum along with all the cholera victims. But when Ignacia's parents didn't pay the burial tax, and the locals removed the little girl from her coffin, they found something very different about her remains. At some point, she had rolled over in her coffin. Her hands were pulled up protectively over her head, her mouth was full of dried blood where she'd bit at the skin of her forearm, and there were ragged scratches all over her forehead. Scientists say an average person can survive between 1 and 18 hours in a standard coffin. It's impossible to say how long the small girl would have survived in the mausoleum. By the time modern embalming techniques were created in the late 19th century, fewer cases of premature burial were being reported. But they didn't end entirely. Even in this modern era, people still end up being buried alive, as in the case of Angelo Hayes and others. Joe Burris was a 32-year-old magician and escape artist who wanted to be the next Houdini. For the most part, he was strictly small-time, but he had big dreams. He was tired of entertaining children in small crowds. He wanted to work the huge audiences that David Copperfield or Penn and Teller drew. A few years earlier, Burris had performed death-defying escape from a coffin buried under a few feet of earth. And on Halloween night, 1990, Burris decided to try it again. 
only this time he was going to raise the stakes. It would be a stunt so spectacular and dangerous, not even Houdini would have attempted it. Hundreds of people, including Burris's wife and children, gathered at a Los Angeles area amusement park, Blackbeard's Family Fun Center, to witness his escape. Wearing a white tuxedo, Burris was chained and handcuffed, then placed inside a clear plastic coffin of his own design. Then the coffin was sealed and lowered into a seven-foot grave. In Burris's previous successful escape, he had been buried under dirt alone. But this time the grave would be filled with earth, then covered over with wet concrete, giving him even less time to escape before the concrete hardened. The crowd watched nervously as the wet concrete was poured over the grave. Then something horrifying occurred. The grave suddenly collapsed two feet in a split second. Burris hadn't accounted for the weight of the more than seven tons of concrete, which crushed the flimsy plastic coffin instantly. Most of these stories I shared have been incredibly tragic, but there's one last tale I wanted to share that's a little different. As tragic as death can be, it turns out, sometimes, it has a sense of humor. In the summer of 1915, a doctor in Blackville, South Carolina was summoned to attend a 30-year-old black woman named Essie Dunbar, who had suffered an epileptic seizure. The doctor found no signs of life and declared Essie dead. The woman's body was put in a wooden coffin, and the funeral was arranged for the next day allowing time for Essie's sister, who lived in a neighboring town, time to arrive. By 11 a.m. the following day, Essie's sister still hadn't gotten there, so they went ahead with the funeral without her. It was a long ceremony, and three separate ministers gave sermons, but still, Essie's sister didn't make it in time. They lowered the coffin into the grave, and shortly after, Essie's sister finally made it. One of the ministers ordered that the coffin be taken out of the grave and the lid removed to give Essie's sister one last moment with her sibling. When they opened the coffin, Essie sat straight up and smiled at her sister. The three ministers fell backward over one another. The smallest of them suffered three broken ribs as mourners and the other ministers trampled each other trying to get out of the church. People screamed as they flung open the church doors and ran out into the street. This included Essie's sister was convinced she'd just seen a ghost. The crowd of people stampeded through town in a state of complete hysteria, shouting at startled passers-by that a ghost was after them. It didn't help that Essie herself had climbed out of the coffin and was chasing after them. Things eventually settled down, but for the rest of her life, Essie was viewed with suspicion by some people. There were many people who lived in the small town who would always believe that Essie was a zombie. Essie became something of a local celebrity, and she lived a quiet life until her second and final death in 1955. This time she stayed in her grave. The Conspirators is written and produced by me, Nate Hale, an entirely fictional identity. I hope you're enjoying the show as much as I enjoy bringing it to you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave us a good review. You can also download us on Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and of course our website, theconspiratorspodcast.com. Thanks for listening.